0: This morning's reading comes from the book of Exodus and can be found on page 71 in the church Bibles. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, <clears throat> Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp near Pi Hahiroth between Migdol and the sea. They are to camp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh king of Egypt so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahiroth opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all pharaohs, horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, Thank you, Steve. Uh,
1: Today, we're continuing with that uh, story of uh, Exodus. Uh, And last week, uh, we we finished off with Nick, and and now we're continuing on with that uh, way out. But um, I wonder, when you see this picture, uh, what comes to mind? Uh, It's a picture from uh, Dunkirk, uh, the evacuation uh, of Dunkirk. Uh, And when we hear about Dunkirk, we Uh, How much we know about it, our mind goes to some sort of miraculous uh, escape. Uh, The day when uh, 338,000 troops uh, were carried across the channel uh, as the the German forces were coming in to sort of hem them in. And then over the course of eight days, uh, this sort of unthinkable amount of people uh, crossed over uh, the channel in all sorts of different boats. Uh, And after... Uh, That took place the the 4th of June, just after the event happened. uh, Winston Churchill gave his his famous speech to uh, Parliament. Uh, The speech where at the end, he says, we'll fight them on the beaches and on and on. What were in that speech, he said this. uh, uh, Talking about Dunkirk, he said, It was a a miracle of deliverance, achieved by valour, by perseverance, uh, by perfect discipline. Uh, by faultless service, by resource, by skill, by unconquering fidelity, is manifest to us all. A miracle of deliverance. And it it certainly was. It it, it defied all odds. But if we say that about um, Dunkirk, then actually what we have before us today is on a completely different level. So with that in mind, uh, let's uh, pray uh, as we begin. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We, we thank you uh, for this story. Uh, and we pray, Lord, that uh, as we look back to this real story, it wouldn't simply help us to understand what happened then, uh, but to, to have a greater confidence to know how you're still working today. Oh, Amen. Amen. Um, When we come to any story, it's always good, isn't to know a little bit about what's happened before. Um, See, the very beginning of this book of Exodus, uh, we see that 70 people go in, and over about 400 years, they grow and grow and grow, uh, so much so that the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, um, is worried about them. Uh, He thinks they're going to come and overtake, so he He tries a way of trying to subdue them. So the first thing he does, he he makes them slaves. He puts slave drivers over them to to work them hard, to to profit from them and to sort of uh, keep them down. But but it doesn't work. Uh, So then he instructs the the Hebrew midwives that when they attend uh, to births, that they're to to basically to put aside the baby boys to to kill them effectively, to let them die. But, But that doesn't work. Uh, And so then, uh, finally, he instructs everybody in the whole nation, if they see uh, an Israelite, a Hebrew baby boy, they're to throw him into the Nile to commit some sort of mass uh, infanticide. But that uh, also doesn't work. Indeed, Moses himself is is a little baby who's placed in a Moses basket uh, who ends up going down the river. It is found by Pharaoh's daughter, drawn out of the sea, the river, and looked after, became a prince. He grows up, and he knows who he is, and it's as if he tries to lead a a revolt. But it doesn't work. And he ends up having to, to flee and run away and go to the wilderness. In the wilderness, he encounters a bush that's burning without being burnt up. He meets God, who says, I am who I am. I'm the one who always has, always will be. That's who I am. And he says, I'm going to go and save my people out of Egypt. And you're going to be the man to, to lead that and to do that. As he goes, to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, no. And so uh, that's where we get the story of the, the 10 plagues. The plagues that come upon Egypt to try to force Pharaoh's hand. But time again, he says, no, 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 no. Uh, until last, finally we have that final plague, which we, we heard last week, uh, where he says every firstborn... Of all, Egypt and the Israelites will die unless uh, a lamb is sacrificed in their place. The lamb takes the place of the firstborn son, and then you paint the red blood on the doorpost so that when the, uh, the angel comes, he'll pass over. And you'll have this meal, which we call the Passover, to remember that uh, every year. And then finally, Pharaoh says, Go go. And that's where we get to uh, in our chapter, the people are, are going. Uh, we didn't read it, but in, in chapter 13, uh, it, it says that uh, they, take the, they didn't take the short route. If you've got a Bible, you can just flick to the sort of inside cover of the Bible, so sort of this bit, uh, and you can see a map there. Uh, now, I, I should add, it's, it's always slightly difficult to know exactly w- exact positions of where things are. It's a slight guess. But you can kind of see there in the bottom left-hand corner where it says Egypt and Ramesses, uh, they're trying to go toward Jerusalem. It wasn't Jerusalem at the time, but trying to go that way. The short way is just to go by the Mediterranean Sea and just go go there. But if they went through that way, they'd face the Philistines. Uh, They'd have to fight wars and, and they may turn away. So God led them down toward the Red Sea, going down. Uh, going down that way. That's where they were headed. And, and again, we didn't read it, but in chapter 13, uh, it, it, he goes ahead of them in a fiery pillar. He, he leads them uh, to go uh, the right way. So when we get to chapter 14 uh, and we read verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, verse 2, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Piharoth between Migdol and the sea. We're like, what? Why? I mean, why are they they turning back? I mean, that's just, its what are you doing? It just doesn't make sense. You you tend to go somewhere, and then you're trying to turn around again. Well, I I think the Lord does that for two reasons. Uh, The first is, you can see there in verse 3, if you've uh, got a Bible open. Um, If not, just if you want the page, it's page 71 um, of chapter 14, uh, verse 3. Uh, and it says, uh, or Pharaoh will think uh, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion. He'll it, think they're kind of just going around in a circle, not knowing where to go. And, and they're sort of leaderless and not knowing what they're doing. And, and so Pharaoh will kind of think, well, <laughs> clearly they, they're clueless. I'll just go and you know, get them back again. So that's, that's one reason the Lord is doing it. He's sort of enticing Pharaoh to come out after them. But the second is, when we look at the maps, as I said, our best guess, it it basically looks like he's driving them down a dead end. He's taking them so that they're going to be in a situation where they're going to have the Red Sea in front of them, the desert to the side of them, and this great big massive Egyptian army behind them and nowhere to go. It's like he's making them fish in a barrel. So why is he doing that? Verse 4, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Do you remember We, we touched on that a few weeks ago. He, he'll give Pharaoh what he wants. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory through myself, through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord. So the Israelites did this. He just wants to make it absolutely clear. It's nothing to do with you. It's all about me. Uh, he's sort of so leading them and working them to this situation where they have no hope so that they've got to rely upon him. Uh, And what the Lord sort of was saying was going to happen, happened. Verse five onwards, uh, Pharaoh saw, he's like, oh, what what are we doing? We've changed their mind. He changed his mind. Like, what are we doing? And he he runs after them. he takes uh, 600 of his best chariots, let alone all the other ones as well. Uh, you know, chariots sort of being the, the tanks of the day, the big, supreme, sort of fighting weapon. He takes these 600 chariots and he goes storming after them. Uh, and understandably, they're just walking and he's in chariots. He overtakes them, he, he, he flanks them. Uh, and he ends up in that situation, whereby, uh, you know, sea in front of them, well, they can't go in the sea. Desert, they going in the desert, they're dead, can't go there. Uh, Egyptian iron behind them. There's nothing. And so, the Israelites do what they will come to do well. Grumble. Verse 11 and 12. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to die? What have you done to us, bring us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, never serve the Egyptians? It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Now, if you've been with us a story, I, at no point did they ever say, uh, we'd like to stay, sir. No, they, they somehow got, got their, their rose-tinted specks on that life was brilliant in Egypt, forgetting they were slaves, forgetting that the Egypt wanted to kill their children. And sadly, actually, as we keep going through the story of the coming weeks, we're just going to see it time and time again. They just misremember. Uh, and so with that grumble, we, we have what is perhaps the, the centerpiece of the whole chapter. Verses 13 and 14. Moses aren't the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. He's saying, look, I'm going to do it all. You have to do nothing. You can just, just sit and watch what I'm going to do. And then he goes on to tell them, verse 15, he, he says, this is what's going to happen. He says that you, you, I'm going to divide the water in two. Uh, you then are going to uh, walk through uh, on dry land. I'm going to do that. And he repeats that same phrase again. I'm going to do that so that I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his chariots. I'm going to do that so that you all know I'm the Lord. And then what happens? Verses 21 and 22. They get to the sea. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Now, when we read that, some say, well, it's just a a natural phenomenon. Yeah, it was the wind. The wind kind of, you know, just blew really hard. It stopped up the water at one end. It blew away the water at the other end. So it kind of just created a path. Now, we don't know how the Lord did it, but did you notice? It said there was a a wall of water, a wall of water on their right and on their left, and it gets repeated again at verse 29, uh, a wall of water on their right and on their left. It's a wall of water. And actually, what's been really helpful is that, I I don't know if you know, but but Google Earth was actually around then. Um, Here's a picture, uh, and here's a close-up. Okay. It's an artist kind of doing a Google Earth video. But, but it, it's a little helpful picture to say, actually, you know, who knows if it was like that? But a wall of water. This is not a, a natural phenomenon by chance. This is the Lord acting to save his people. Now, his people may have been 30,000, or it may have been as much as 2.4 million. The number doesn't really matter. It was the Lord working a supernatural event to save his people. And just like the Lord said, the Egyptians pile in afterwards, going into the water. But as they do, they're thrown into confusion, verse 24. The wheels come off. Some say, actually, this is where the phrase got its, it came from in the first place. The wheels came off the wagon. Uh, and the Egyptians were absolutely clear what was happening. They said, verse 25, uh, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. He said, I'm going to fight for you. And then the Egyptians say, the Lord's fighting. That They want to get away. And then, verse 26, Moses stretched out his hands. And the waters return. What the Egyptians wanted to do, and indeed did do, to the Hebrew baby boys, happens to them. The Egyptians face the same judgments that they wanted to enact to God's people. At this point, there's a, the story of uh, uh, somebody who was speaking in a church who didn't really have a, a high view of God able to do miracles. Uh, he was speaking in a church that was a bit, of a, a bit more of a sort of Pentecostal type of church, and he was speaking on this passage, and, and someone from the congregation started, praise the Lord for saving the Israelites through the Red Sea. And that slightly grated with him. So he sort of said, well, actually, it, it's actually called the Reed Sea. It's more like it's sort of six inches deep. So they kind of forded through. Um, which, as an aside, there's, there's no evidence for that at all. Um, but the same voice then piped up, praise the Lord for drowning the Egyptians in six inches of water. <laughs> I mean, this is the Lord doing. This is not clever planning. This is not bravery. Uh, this is the Lord doing what only he can do. It is a, a supernatural event. And maybe that's something that we've got to grapple with for ourselves. Is the Lord able to do such a thing ever? Could he have done such a thing? A big question that we might have to ask. But but this is the Lord doing what only he could do. And the result? That he, he brought a people who were slaves, he brought them through the Red Sea, and he made them his people. They were his his treasured possession. They were no longer slaves, they were sons and daughters. And of course, at the end, read verse 31. The people feared the Lord and put their trust in Moses. So, what does this really mean then, this passage? Well, I I, I don't quite know why, but I I ended up, when I was preparing this, I ended up looking uh, at this movie, The Ten Commandments of Charlton Heston. Has anyone seen that? Uh, Apparently, it's one of the top ten movies of all time. So, if you haven't seen it, apparently you should. but I was looking at it, I, I wasn't, didn't watch it, but I, I was just on the Wikipedia page, and I, I came across this line from the Wikipedia page on the plot summary. Uh, it said, uh, Moses uses God's help to, with a pillar of fire and divide the Red Sea to defeat the Egyptians. Moses uses God's help. It may as well have said, Moses uses the force, to mix my movie illustrations. But this, this passage is not about Moses using God to achieve what he wanted. This passage is all about the Lord doing it, Lord fighting. The Lord remember was the one who, who led them. He guided them to this dead end. He said, "I'm going to fight for you." He then was the one who made a way through the Red Sea. He's the one who brought judgment back on the Egyptians, and then he's the one who made a people for himself. It's nothing to do with the Israelites. They just grumbled the whole time. It's all of the Lord. And don't... Just remember where this story's headed. In about six chapters time, uh, we're going to end up at the Ten Commandments. Where the Lord says, this is how you should live. But the Ten Commandments don't come first. It doesn't say, well... It, Here's my law, try and, like, 70%, maybe, and then I'll think about saving you. No. No, no, no. It's the Lord. It's not about our obedience that makes us worthy of being saved. It's him. It's him. It's all about the Lord fighting for his people. And as we look at this story, I don't think there is a, a better real illustration of the way that God saves his people today. So remember the, 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 Egyptian, the Israelites rather, were slaves, they were slaves to Egyptians in bondage. Well, we're not slaves to Egyptians, um, we're slaves to what we call sin, what Nick was talking about earlier, the, the way that we uh, don't love God and, and don't love each other. Uh, and then God had to act because the Israelites couldn't do it. And so he used his leader, Moses, to deliver his people through the Red Sea. What we might call his uh, mediator. Whereas we have Jesus, who is uh, fully man and not simply near to God, like we might say Moses was. He is fully man and fully God. He is one who is able to to be our true and perfect mediator, who carries us through so that we may walk on to God's promised kingdom, which is not a land like Jerusalem, but his eternal kingdom. And this message, I think, is, is just completely unlike any other world faith. There's nothing like it. Because any of the world faith will say, look, you've got this problem of being in sin and bondage. What you've got to do is you've got to build a bridge over it. Uh, you know, it might be saying you've got to put your, your pillars down, your pylons down and build up. Uh, whether it be the, the pillars of faith or, or attaining enlightenment. Uh, but you've got to do it. You've got to build up and do it over and get it done yourself. Whereas Christianity says, the gospel says, says we've got a God who just smashes the water. And walks through so that we can walk through on dry land. We've got a God who just does it entirely so that we can go and be free. A God that says it's not about the quality of your faith, it's about the object of it. Because just imagine, as some Israelites are walking through uh, the Red Sea with the, the wall of water on their, their right and their left, some are going, This is amazing like the egyptians have not got a chance because our god is fighting for us some i reckon have been going that water's going to fall i'm going to get drowned they've been looking going oh, oh, oh. but both whether they were those who were confident or perhaps those who were slightly shaky both walked through on dry land. because here's the point uh, the strength of faith is not in the quality of your faith; it's in its object. Uh, lots of people say to me, "Oh, Ben, I've I've not been a very good Christian. I'm a bad Christian, or I'm a, or, or I'm trying to be a good Christian." I want to say, well, "Do you do you know Jesus as your your Lord and your Savior? Do you know Him as the One who's your who takes your place, who who died on the cross so that you could live?" And if the answer to that is yes, then you are a perfect Christian because we have a perfect saviour. And that is wonderful. The Israelites were saved in the Red Sea and then had given God's law later. We're, we're saved by Jesus. And now he says, now live like it." There's no kind of like, do, you know, do this, this, and this, and then I'll kind of think if you're worthy enough to come into my kingdom. It's you've been saved, so live like it. Live out that life. Live in that freedom. Live in that goodness. Live out your salvation. Be who you are. It's not about your ability to sum up strength. It's about his goodness, his power. The message of the gospel says, Jesus came to save sinners like you and me because he is good. For God so loved the world, he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So this morning, uh, if you're somebody who doesn't know that, then can I encourage you to look into it? At the back, we've got these little Luke's Gospels accounts of Jesus' life. Um, Just read it for yourself. See who you think this man Jesus really is. Grab one, it's free. No one will know. Uh, please take one. If you are somebody who creates yourself a Christian, then why not tell yourself that every day? I'm loved because Jesus loves me. Lord, help me to live like it today. Help me to love others like you love them. Help me to, to live that freedom. That the one who smashes the water to carry his people through has smashed sin and death to carry us through. Lord, fill my heart again with that goodness, to know it, to enjoy it, for your glory and our good. Father, we thank you. Thank you for that great news. Lord, would we know it, savour it, enjoy it, Walk in it and live lives that honor you, not because we want to earn your love, but because we already have it. In Jesus' name, amen.